0: Broadcasting from our office in Buffalo, New York, this is the ARRIVE podcast, the comprehensive guide to U.S. immigration law designed especially for our Canadian neighbors. I'm Jeremy Richards, your host, along with my co-host and business partner, Christine Jerusik. We bring decades of immigration law experience helping Canadians to live and work in the United States. We're here to simplify the complexities of the U.S. immigration process, answer your questions, and provide insights that only experienced professionals can provide. In each episode, Christine and I will delve into legal concepts, share personal narratives, and bring you insightful conversations, all designed to educate, enlighten, and empower you as you navigate the U.S. immigration law landscape. Whether you're preparing to move to the United States for work, studies, love, or if you're just intrigued by U.S. immigration law, the ARRIVE podcast is your resource for making the journey clearer, simpler, and more approachable. So we invite you to come on this journey with us. Listen to the ride podcast, follow us on your favorite podcast platforms, and subscribe to the latest episodes as they are released. And if you find what we share helpful, don't keep it to yourself. Feel free to share it with others who might also benefit from the content. Our mission is to assist our friends from the North in successfully navigating their way to live and work in the United States. So sit back, tune in, and get ready to arrive. This is the ARRIVE Podcast, the U.S. immigration law podcast for Canadians. Today we are going to dive into the E-2 investor visa. And the the E-2 visa is a unique visa that was created for investors, those who wish to do business in the United States through investment. So either buying an existing company here in the United States or starting up a new business in the United States.
1: So with this type of visa, one of the things um, we are telling people when they call in is, you know, the documents are key. I mean, the evidence is all provided in a paper format, submitted to the consulate of your country of citizenship. Um, Not every country has a treaty with the United States that would qualify citizens of that country for this type of visa. So it's important to consult with an immigration attorney to determine whether or not your country of citizenship has the correct treaty in place to make you eligible for an E-2 visa.
0: And Canadians are on the list. They are. Therefore, they are part of the Treaty of Commerce that would qualify you, a Canadian citizen to apply for and obtain an E-2 investor visa.
1: Yeah, and that does not go by country of birth. So those of you that are involved in the immigrant visa process... This is a different metric. So this is Good for a non immigrant process. This is not country of birth. This is country of citizenship. There's like plenty the TN, of TN, right? Yeah. We've helped plenty of Canadians that weren't born in Canada go through the E two and T N process.
0: Yeah, we have a lot of Indian born uh Canadians we do, yeah. that uh, do the and investor Chinese, Chinese, Chinese born, yep. Yeah.
1: All over the world. Yep. Right. All these entrepreneurial people that that want to run a business in the US.
0: And that's the amazing thing about the, both the U.S. and Canada is they're melting pots. So there's a lot of people that immigrate to Canada first from other countries, obtain their Canadian citizenship. They've built a life in Canada. Uh, they may have a successful business that they started there as a third country national, get, obtain that Canadian citizenship. And through that Canadian citizenship, citizenship, they now qualify for this this E2 investor visa, and it allows them that opportunity to then branch off into the united states as well
1: right either expand or move their business to the u.s if they think it's a good business move
0: yeah and so really the e2 investor visa and we're just going to narrow in on that today Um, there are other options to expand to Uh, the l1 visa is another common one we'll save that for a a discussion at a later time Uh, but the e2 visa is primarily it's designed for exactly what it says investors now, what is an investor? Well, it's a person who, who invests capital into the United States for the creation of jobs as well as doing active business in the United States. And I think that's a key thing to understand with the investor visa. And this is a roadblock that a lot of people run into and they don't understand about investor. An investor isn't somebody who is contemplating making an investment. An investor is somebody who has already committed and made that effort to do business in the United States. They've already spent the money.
1: What if they only moved the what if they took the money that they had, their personal funds, and they put it in a bank account in the name of their US business? Would that qualify for an E2? Not committed. Not committed, right. So So
0: it's just sitting in your bank account. Well, let's steal your money. Right. Committed means I bought a business from Christine and I signed a purchase agreement. We signed a purchase or sale agreement and Transfer the funds. And now the funds are Christine's because I bought the business from her. Right. And now the business is yours. And now the business is mine. So there were, there was an exchange, right? right? I paid you for this business and I get the business in return. It's not, I want to, I think I might, would this, you know, in the future, I'm going to reserve this money just in case I buy a business. No.
1: Or people start their own business in the US too. So they'll, they'll that works. incorporate a company, you're the owner of the company, transfer that money, that personal savings that you have that you wanna invest in the business to the company account, but that we can't stop there for the E two. You've then got to spend that money.
0: Correct. You can't a transfer of funds just for the purpose of a future investment. Does right. Not count.
1: And and this what you know spending that money is sounds easy to spend money but we get a lot of calls from people that are like my business just doesn't need me to you know consulting company for example all i need is a laptop and i fly around the country and i go to my client's business and i consult with them so what do i need beyond a laptop
0: and yeah, there's a lot of business. times you like have that. to get yeah. creative what
1: you know do you need consulting. a website do you need uh you know do you need a, an office that you maybe need to have employees at this office there's things that you can spend money on that perhaps you may not need right up front, but that would count towards your investment and help you build that portfolio of receipts to show that your business is ready to operate and you've made that investment and committed the funds.
0: Yes, so that goes into what are the qualifications? Mm-hmm. So what, what are they looking at? And, and if you're not familiar with the e-visa process, all of the e-visas that are done in Canada If it's an initial E, so you've never had an E visa before, this is your first time E, or your E is expiring and you're trying to get a recertification of your business, it's all done through Toronto. The Toronto consulate is the only one that does these. You can't do it at any other consulate in Canada, unfortunately. All new E visas are processed in Toronto, just like all immigrant visas in Canada are processed in Montreal. So you can't shop around for that. Now, once your business is registered, and that's another discussion, uh, if you bring in an employee through that e-visa registration, business registration, then that can be done anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that initial one has to be done through Toronto. You can't pick and choose. So let's go into the qualifications. And they have specific metrics or qualifications that that are required uh, in order to uh, qualify for an e-visa. And the terms themselves if you read them on their face, it's not very clear what it actually means. Um, so it warrants a discussion on,
1: I mean, even when you have an understanding mean. of what they mean, sometimes it's not clear what they mean. Yeah. <laughs> so and
0: sometimes the consulate doesn't even know what it means.
1: So yeah, that a, makes a lot it hard. of these, uh, in a lot of these terms are contextual. So you have to take them in the context of your business, um, your, your field and, um, you know, your investment. So Yes. You, you go ahead with those definitions. I don't think they're going to be so easy.
0: Hey, but there's a good thing <laughs> is if you don't know the definitions and you want to find out, if you go to our website. All of these things that we're going to be discussing today on the podcast are on there. So if you go under our resources and under our blogs yeah. and you, and you want to know what substantial means for E2 investment, we'll just go on there and type in substantial and search and you'll pull up what I'm looking at right now.
1: I don't know if you feel this way about Ease. But I find that, like, out of all of the different visas and the metrics for the different visas and the requirements, it's the most intuitive one. Like, you have a sense of whether or not this business and this individual is going to be successful with this type of application. Um, And I feel like the officers have a lot of leeway with these two, where, you know, there's not a lot of um, written regulation about it. And so that they have a lot of discretion in reviewing these types of applications more so than let's say an l1 visa or something like um, a tn visa
0: yeah and that can be in your favor that what it does say in the regulation however is that it it tries to remind the consular the reviewing officer in the fam the foreign affairs manual and that's where these regulations can mm. be found is that it reminds them that there is a treaty in place that's already been negotiated with the with Canada and the United States, because that's what we're talking about right now for this e-visa, and that those terms have already been negotiated. And the whole purpose of this is for the ease of transfer of goods and services between the two countries. So it reminds the officer, hey, this is supposed to be a somewhat, you know, more easily facilitated process because we have this agreement with Canada. So... Do they always do that? No, but in most cases I see they have, and we have several examples where we've helped people with these businesses where you're like, wow, how did that get approved? And it, get, and it gets approved. So to the question, what is considered substantial for an E2 visa investment?
1: That's a great question. <laughs>
0: like, I don't want to answer that. There's no that. easy answer.
1: So they provide <laughs> a
0: certain set of guidelines, and there's three things to keep in mind if you're trying to determine whether or not your investment would meet this substantiality prong of the E2 investment. So substantial is a proportional sense as determined through the application of the proportionality test. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's so clear sufficient to ensure the treaty investors financial commitment to the successful operations of the enterprise and of a magnitude to support the likelihood that the treaty investor will successfully develop and direct the enterprise. Pretty vague. So
1: you read th- that so fast, I could barely follow it myself.
0: So in layman's terms, they're saying that, that the investors put enough into this business, they've committed enough to this operation in the United States. that's going guar- to guarantee the success of that business. Not, to, not necessarily today. Here, when they're looking at E2 visas, they're looking at a five-year business plan. So looking like, over the next five years, has there been enough investment into this enterprise that it, over the next five years that it's likely to employ? And this is a number we throw out, at least three full-time workers in the United States. If over the next five years, you in can addition, develop this. In
1: addition to the owner, right? In addition to the owner. Yeah.
0: And we're not talking your family and friends here. We're talking you're hiring U.S. workers as full-time workers. You're not bringing in your mother, father, brother, sister to work in your company. That's not what they're talking about here. They're talking about employing U.S. workers, at least three full-time workers. That's substantial. Mm -hmm. So what do you have to put into this company to guarantee it's going to get off the ground, it's going to get clients, generate revenues to the point you're going to Employ at least three full-time workers. That's what that's substantial gonna, I mean,
1: is. Well, that's going to be dependent on the type of business, isn't it?
0: And that's where the proportionality test comes <laughs> in. So, and they give a proportionality test. So, and they give some examples. So, for example, an investor buys a convenience store with a total cost of sixty-five thousand U.S. dollars and invests sixty-five thousand U.S. dollars into the enterprise. The investment is a hundred percent and would be considered substantial. So of the investment, it was a $65,000 investment. The investor is a sole investor and puts all 65000 into that investment. And that's about a rough cost of, I would say, buying a convenience store in the US. It's somewhere between 60 and 100 is where we see these. It could mm-hmm. be a little bit more. That's considered a substantial investment if you can show that that business is also going to generate um, or create jobs and and for us workers now it goes on to give the next example of an investor who um, buys a warehouse tied to the logistics company for a total cost of one million us dollars and invests five hundred thousand dollars so we're talking a lot more money here
1: although but also only fifty percent
0: only fifty percent instead a hundred but they say although the investment amount is fifty percent it may still be considered substantial based on the amount of the investment. Now we also have to look at ownership too. That's another key factor Uh, you you need to maintain if the company has to have at least 50% of the nationality of of the person seeking the visa. So that's the minimum. So here, let's assume that's at least 50% and right to control this company, and uh, they put in 500,000, then that would meet the requirement because that is a substantial amount of money that would be considered sufficient to guarantee the success of this enterprise. And then the final example they give is an investor buying a shopping mall for a total cost. And I think these are actually my examples because we've done each of these. They don't <laughs> say shopping mall, but we did one. You like did this. Yeah, we did mall, yeah. one. Who buys a shopping <clears throat> mall for the cost of hundred million and invests ten million in the surprise. Although the investment amount is only ten percent, it may still be considered substantial based on the amount of the investment. And here, we're, well, let's say that...
1: Oh, it's a $10 million investment at the end of the day. So <laughs> that's pretty even though hefty. it's only 10%, as long as that person still has some right to, control. right to control.
0: In the example here, this individual owned the entire shopping mall, but their down payment was gotcha. $10 million, Yeah, right? that makes sense. And you can assume that here in these scenarios too. Maybe right. your down payment is 50%. Well, if that down payment is sufficient enough, if s- substantial in their words, mm-hmm. then it could meet the... Uh, the substantial requirement in this pro- proportionality test. As yeah,
1: and not it. to give an example of things that wouldn't work, but for example, if that $10 million investment was in the shopping mall and there were um, nine other investors.
0: Ooh, that gets hairy now. Yeah,
1: that's, you're going to have a tough time with that E2. In fact, I don't know that you would, it, your look, documentation would have to demonstrate that you have a right to control. Even then, they might not buy it.
0: Yes, and that goes to one of the other um, factors of of an e-visa, right? The company has to have the nationality through ownership of the investor. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to do this as a Canadian, the company also has to be Canadian, which by definition means... That it's owned at least 50% by Canadians as a group and they have the right to control.
1: Right, so the entity is still formed in the U.S., right? It's just the ownership of the company is by Canadian citizen owners.
0: At least 50% with the right to control. Easiest way is 51% or more and then you don't have to worry about right to control. That's what I
1: usually tell people
0: too. 51%, you're fine. Then you don't have to mess with it.
1: I know, but I've also You get
0: 50%, they they often challenge it because...
1: They can, unless you have something in the your articles yeah yeah. that that dictate that you have right to control um uh, my example went out of my head but the the other thing i was thinking of is a situation where um somebody is investing in a company that has owners of multiple different nationalities maybe different ownership percentages people have come to me and said do i have to get proof of citizenship of all these other owners and i tell them yes you do Well, they're not going to give me their passports. Well, if you want the E2, you need to get a copy of every passport from every owner to show their citizenship.
0: Yep. That's a requirement. Yep. You have to prove nationality. Again, it goes back to one of the requirements that you have to prove the nationality of the company. Right. In order to do that, well, what is everybody's citizenship? And it goes down to percentages. It does. If you have nine people, it could work as long
1: as 50% or more. As long as five of them. Are Canadian. If they all have equal shares, right? Yeah. Yep. It work.
0: Um, all right. So that's that's what substantial is. Are you putting enough into this company? It would be considered a, a substantial amount that would guarantee the successful operations of the company. Okay, that's what they're looking for there. Um, and then in the next factor that that they lay out is what is called marginal. So we're getting these these uh, immigration specific terms. So what is marginal considered? And this is the one that goes back to um, employing U.S. workers. Marginality. Uh, they, so the perp- and we get this a lot for people that may be in the real estate market, right? A real estate market. Um, and they want to invest in properties in the United States. Well, let's go to the definition for marginality, and then we'll talk about that. So marginality from the FAM, the Foreign Affairs Manual, again, says an enterprise that does not have the present or future capacity to generate enough income to provide for more than a minimal living for the treaty investor and their family. An enterprise that does not have the capacity to generate such income, but that has a present or future capacity to make a significant economic contribution is not a marginal enterprise. The projected future capacity should generally be reasonable within, realizable within five years from the date of the application commences normal business activities that they enterprise. So what does that mean? This goes back to creating jobs for US workers. If you're coming into the United States and you're just investing in a property and it's just you and you're, you're gaining investment uh, from that and that, that all the revenues are going to you and you're not employing any US workers, maybe you're, you're buying an apartment, you sit on it and you flip it. Well, that doesn't qualify. You're not creating jobs for anybody. Uh, You have a lot of people that will want to come and they they do the reno thing. They'll buy it and they'll go renovate it themselves and then they'll sell it and then they keep flipping houses that way. That doesn't work for an E2. You have to create jobs. Even if
1: you're... You're hiring contractors to do it, which is what most people do. Is the oh, I'm going to hire all kinds of U.S. contractors to very good point build the because house, Canadians love contractors. Yes, no, that's not an employee. That's a contractor, and that's not going to qualify you in most cases for an E two investment. It had to, you can have
0: contractors, but you also need to have employees. And when we say employee, for you to understand, that is a T four employee
1: t4 which in the u.s is considered is called w2 yes it's not
0: a contractor or 1099 same
1: form though saying that you're paying the taxes for this employee and you have them on the books
0: so if you're buying a little company or you have this enterprise you're doing in the u.s and it's just making money for you that won't qualify you for an e2 you have to show and it, here it says present or future capacity to realize that in five years. And we stated this before. They want a five-year detailed business plan and It has a market analysis and everything in there that details, you know, what your projections are going to be. You know, year one, I'm going to hire an office manager and, uh, you know, admin. And then year two, we're going to add laborers or whatever it is. Yeah, and, and, you know, and you yeah. can point out specifically all these people you're hiring over the next five years. And that... At a minimum, adds up to at least full time, three full-time W-2 employees in the U.S. Amazing. And if you can add 1099s on top of that, well, that's going to make it stronger. Yeah. So it's not saying you can't do those 1099s or those contractors, but you must have full-time employees as well.
1: And let's talk about the five years because you keep going on about five years. The reason is because... They're going to approve you for a period of five years. Five-year
0: business registration. So
1: that's why they're looking at that period of time. And the good thing about the E is that really gives you a lot of time, um, you know, proportionally to other types of visas. Well, the to grow L, the right? Business. If yes. it's an L one expansion that's visa, I you get of. one year. One year. Twelve months is not a lot of time to Very get a short. business up to a position where you're having that number of employees or more. It's probably required for an L, but. Um, and there's
0: no time limit requirement either with the E. Some of the like L, sometimes you have to pay attention to how much time you're spending in the U.S. Like if you're spending more than fifty percent of your time in the U.S. on that visa, then other rules apply. Whereas the E doesn't matter how much time you're spending in the U.S. You can spend a hundred percent if you want, right, and, and it gives you five years instead yeah. of a year.
1: Yeah, but you don't. The, the downside of the E is you don't get to renew it at a border with a border officer with you the same day back approval. To the You've got a more lengthy process, more scrutiny. Um but you also have more time to build your business, so yeah
0: and and it's once trade-off. it's established and you have people hired, then the renewal process can be pretty seamless. so it's a legitimate company and you're doing business, everything's on the books you've hired u s workers and you can show tax returns and w twos and records of business in the United States. Well, the likelihood of you getting that extended for another five years is high, yep so, that's th-
1: exactly what you're supposed to be doing on the e yeah exactly what we tell people to do not over their five-year period though. no well sometimes businesses fail it happens And sometimes people use
0: it incorrectly that's true so that's marginal so substantial and marginal substantial did you put enough money in this company to make it successful marginal are you hiring employees in the u.s is this, is this not just for just you to support your family yeah, yeah. Is, are you just moving your family to run your own restaurant that doesn't work. I mean, unless, unless you're hiring we workers get calls like that all the time. All the I want
1: to, I want to move to Florida. How can I get there? Um, are you in the position to make an investment? Oh yeah. I'm going to buy a house. That's going to be in my investment. No, that's not how that works. What if I hire a landscaper to landscape the house and a yeah. painter to paint the house? No nope, contractors. That's a, yeah. Yeah. And exactly. they're not
0: your employees. Yeah. We get that a lot. Thank you for tuning in today and listening to the Rive podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe, like share it with your friends and other people out there that you think might find uh, our discussions helpful. Also remember our website. We have a resources tab on there and you can subscribe to our resources. We have blogs that we put out every week, uh, at least three come out every week. And then you will get immigration updates on there as well. Uh, you can also tune in on YouTube. If you Google us on YouTube, Richards and Drew you'll find our YouTube videos too, and you'll find a lot of helpful information there. Also, this is a plug for you. If you have any questions. That you'd like to submit for us to address on the podcast, please let us know. Also, if you want to be on the podcast, we'd love to have you as a guest. If you want to have your question answered live, uh, we keep asking. Not a lot of people want to take that up, (laughs) Um, but hey, it would be great to have another live person on here as well, and we'd love to have you. So, thank you for tuning in, and if you haven't, please please hit us up, subscribe, and, and keep listening. And if you are, thank you. So, on to one of those user submitted questions. And this is one that we receive quite frequently. And that is, can you use a three-year degree? uh, And here, the most common one we see is India, but it can be from any country outside of North America, a three-year degree. Can you use that three-year degree degree to qualify under the TN profession of a computer systems analyst?
1: The answer is no. No. (laughs) Yeah, the minimum r- what are the minimum requirements
0: for computer systems analysts under the TN profession?
1: So you need to have a bachelor's degree, which so by f- definition is a four-year degree.
0: A four-year, you, equivalent to a U.S. four-year degree or Canadian, uh, North American four-year degree.
1: Right. So a four-year bachelor's degree, or you can have a diploma or certificate from Canada or Mexico plus three years of experience.
0: So where does three years fall into there?
1: So the three-year Indian degree would not be qualifying as a diploma or certificate. So and it that's where people there. look at
0: people get confused. They're like, wait, it's, it's higher than a two-year diploma. You, well, you're right, True, it is. Yeah. But it specifically states in the regs that a diploma has to be from Canada or the United States. And it specifically states that a certificate must be from Mexico. Right. So if you have a, a diploma, certificate, or three-year three degree that's not from Canada, Mexico, or the United States, it's not going to qualify. It not, doesn't meet that qualification. And then a four-year so, degree... Just so
1: our Canadian listeners are clear, the, the diploma is going to be from uh, you know from a college, so like Seneca College or something like that. They'll issue uh, two or possibly even a three-year diploma and computer in networking, computer science or computer networking. Yeah. That plus three years of experience working in that field, that's going to qualify you for a TN. Um, you don't have to have a bachelor's degree to be a computer systems analyst But in if the you US do have a
0: bachelor's, you don't need three years of experience. But if
1: you do have a four-year bachelor's four years, degree, yes. you don't need...
0: Not three. Right. Correct. So, yeah, the answer is no. You can't use a three-year Indian de- degree or a three-year degree from outside of North America to qualify for TN right. status as a computer and systems analyst. But you
1: analyst. could use a 3 years bachelor degree from Canada <laughs> to qualify you plus your three, plus three, years, three years of experience. Correct. Right.
0: And one last thing to note on this question is, if you're doing a degree evaluation, it's best to get that equated to a US degree. They will accept them to a Canadian degree if you have one. Some some people get it because they immigrated to Canada and they use it there. They will accept those. That's a discretion of the officer. The best is to get a. US equivalency.
1: Yeah and it's not that much more to do that. And we have a place that does pretty quick turnaround. so yeah, plug a plug to for Silvergate
0: evaluations if you need an evaluation of your yeah, great. of your degree, that's who we typically uh, work with. Um, wh- where I was going to is you can't combine. So you if you mm. have a three- year degree, You cannot combine that with a certificate or experience to get an equivalency to a U.S. four-year degree. The degree must be evaluated on its own.
1: I have had some success, and correct me if I'm wrong, yeah, if it's the same institution. So, for example, you have a three-year degree from India.
0: And a master's from the same institution.
1: And you have a master's, yeah, one-year master's degree from the same institution. They will accept a combination of those two degrees. But if it's from a different institution, maybe it's the next university down the road in the next town over, they're not going to accept that.
0: Yeah, they won't. They're, that's considered combining. Yeah. But if it's the same institution and I've had border officers tell me the same, as long as it's the same institution, it's acceptable. Uh, but otherwise they won't. But even then you could get an officer that looks at that and says, no, I don't want to take it. Uh, so you're, it's discretionary at the border. Yeah. You got to be careful.
1: There's a lot of nuance here. So I think yeah. I think the takeaway should be if you're a computer systems analyst coming into the U.S. and you're not clear on whether or not your qualifications are going to meet the requirements. Give us a call. Yeah, you're better off just calling and checking first. Yeah.
0: And then on to a recent success story. Uh, we, we just got this. I think this approval came last night. I was... Congratulations. Hanging around the house and I got an email notification, USCIS, if you file cases uh, for premium processing, they give you email notifications. And it was an O1B. So oh, an I o- saw that come through, yeah, yeah. An O1B, if those that don't know, is somebody of extraordinary ability. So you have to show this individual has risen to in what I say is typically the top 10% of your field. And you can demonstrate it through uh, prizes, awards, articles, publications and and there's a lot high of high salary
1: is another Hi. one yeah
0: so this individual uh is actually coming to the united states from italy uh and he's a chef he's actually a pretty uh, somewhat uh, renowned chef who's participated in some cooking shows and written cookbooks I mean, I've seen the pictures of his food. I'd like to taste it. It looks amazing.
1: Well, where is he going to work?
0: He's going to work in Miami, Florida.
1: We need to take a trip.
0: At some really <laughs> posh restaurant down there. So I'm not quite sure if we could afford to eat his food.
1: He might <laughs> he might do us a favor though, right? <laughs>
0: but yeah, that was a, that's a good one. And that was approved with no request for evidence from USCIS. It was approved in, in about 10 days um one of our associates rachel she actually helped uh me on that case and did an amazing job so uh that was a good one to see and it it was it was a cool one right a unique one a a pretty those are the fun cases to work on that aren't the you know routine ones when you get individuals like that so that was that was a fun one to to work on all right now back to our discussion on the on the e-visa now let's say you've established the criteria for the e-visa. What happens at the end of the e-visa process? And we get this question all the time. I just had two e-visa prep calls here in the, in the last few days and we, we talk to our clients before they go to their final e-visa interview. Um, what to expect in that interview? Well, typically by the time you show up to the interview, the, the way the e-visa works is you submit everything electronically ahead of time to the consulate so they've already reviewed everything and if they need something else they'll let you know for example we got a request this week we're doing uh, another e- an e-visa for an individual and they wanted uh, an updated resume and they'll request something like that ahead of time yeah. and you just submit it and then they'll review it and then once everything's satisfactory they'll schedule you for an interview Now, they've already reviewed and done their due diligence before you show up to that interview. They've already reviewed the entire submission um, and made any requests for additional evidence they typically have before you show up. So when you show up to that interview, and I've done a tour of the Toronto Consulate and had them explain the process, and I've walked through it and seen what they do, you just walk up to a window and, Yeah, so it's it it's just could be, like a Carol. It's in five a, minutes, yeah. they're telling you what your decision is. They could ask you very brief questions. Who are you? Oh, yeah. what's your business to you? Oh, how many clients do you have in the US? Oh, what's your business? You know, basic questions. And then they say, okay, approved. And then they take your passport. And typically within 30 days, your passport comes back. And this is one of the only times a Canadian actually receives a visa. Uh, foil in their passport or stamp in their passport, the photograph, the fancy looking visa mm. is when you get an E2. And I've then got, they'll I've mail it back to you. i someone
1: going tomorrow to the consulate, so I hope it goes just like that. <laughs> Hopefully.
0: <laughs> but it, the denial or refusal goes just as quick. Yeah. They'll tell you, you're refused. And sometimes they give you a detailed explanation of why they don't think you, you made it. Maybe they said, oh, your, your investment wasn't substantial. It, it didn't meet the marginality test. Um, you know, your funds weren't committed. Um, and that's another prong of the e-visa is are your funds committed? And we talked about that. The funds can't just be in a bank account. They actually have to be spent and committed to that investment, mm-hmm. right? You had to actually sign on the dotted line, transfer the money into escrow, or actually paid for it before they'll issue that visa. And there's actually one more prong that we didn't discuss, and, that's, and they could refuse you on this, is uh, you didn't demonstrate that this is non-immigrant, right? A E-2 visa is a non-immigrant visa, meaning you're just coming for the purposes of managing this investment. You're not intending to immigrate. You need to show you maintaining your ties uh, to Canada. And your intention is is not to abandon your residency in Canada, but your intention is to manage this enterprise. So if all those boxes check off, congratulations, you're approved. If not, they could refuse you. And they could refuse you for any of those reasons, they also refuse you for v- reasons outside of the e-visa qualifications, right? Very true. And sometimes <laughs> we get blindsided. And this is yeah. a plug. For, this is just a, a, a PSA
1: for all you <laughs> out there. If
0: you're working with an attorney, be honest. Be straightforward. Let them know your entire history. Because if you show up to that interview and you have a criminal record and you need to disclose it, it could make you inadmissible. So you go through all this work to get an e-visa. And then the consul says, hey, you know that you know, 7-Eleven you robbed? And you <laughs> held up with a gun? Yeah. Well, that's a crime involving moral turpitude, and you're an admissible to the United States denied.
1: Right. Or, you, you know, remember when you stayed in the United States for 20 years during the <laughs> 80s and 90s? And, and you, you didn't, didn't have leave a visa? The country and you didn't have a visa?
0: Yeah. You, you, it you, could you,
1: impact your case. I even had someone who Remember was when in you
0: were a little kid, or you think you were little? You were 17, and you you know, you were smoking <laughs> weed and you got caught and you're yeah. arrested for it? You need to disclose that because it keeps. Yeah, keep you, out. you
1: need to tell your attorney about this stuff because you know what? There's sometimes there's ways we can address this and we can prep you for um, that kind of a question in the interview or if it comes up or tell you what you need to do to to address it. Um, it, it it's harder when we don't know what's going on.
0: And there are waivers for a lot of these things. Uh, I gave some pretty extreme examples. You're not going to get a waiver (laughs) if you're holding up a 7-Eleven with a gun. That's probably not in the cards for you. Or if you're killing people. I don't know. If you talk to Shauna,
1: she might be able to help (laughs) them.
0: Shauna can do some amazing things, but within the law. So, yeah, make sure you give full disclosure to your attorney so there's no surprises at this interview because um, the negative is you could get denied, right, you go through all this positive, this this experience and you commit all these funds, you buy this business, you you pay for an attorney and you, you were never gonna get approved in the first place.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then-
1: I mean, even you even really need to, you know, keep in mind about your travel history too. I've had people that have been in the US on multiple different visas in the past, um, thought nothing of it. Maybe they had a mild overstay once or twice. Uh, you know, but they did travel, you know, maybe for work to some pretty um, sketchy countries. Countries on the, the list. That are on the list. Yeah, the bad countries. And, you know, they they're get get put into administrative processing for security reasons just because of that travel history. Make so sure even something as innocent as that yep. um could, could torpedo an application if it's not dealt with correctly. And...
0: With this process, one of the huge advantages of an e-visa is your family gets to come with you. Um, Twenty, <laughs> uh, So it's a dependent. They're under 21. Yeah. Okay. If your Wife kid's 21 or over, sorry, they're adults. They're not coming. They're on their own. That's the way it works. That's the way it should work. Uh, they're adults. <laughs> I'm kicking out my 21-year-old today. Like the,
1: you sound like the parent of a 21-year-old. <laughs> and I'm
0: driving across the country literally <laughs> tonight <laughs> to move. to. He's moving across the country to be on well, his own. Well, you're zone. putting
1: him as far away as, from you as possible, huh? About 3,000 miles. <laughs> so well, He's not moving back in your basement anytime soon. Not, <laughs> he's
0: going out. So You're going to have some he,
1: notice if he does anyway. <laughs>
0: I hope so. Because we're gonna do something with that and make it <laughs> so we can't move back in anytime soon. <coughs> so your family members, twenty-one and under, if it's a dependent child, if it's a spouse, they don't age out; <laughs> they're always your spouse. Right. Um, they will get what's called E-2 uh, dependent status. Now, the spouse is special; they'll get yeah. an E-2s. Yeah. Not for spouse. Well, for spouse, but it also means special uh, <laughs> because that S means they get automatic work authorization. Right. Which is amazing. They
1: don't have to apply for anything. No, and they they can work anywhere. That visa, they can use that as proof that they can work in the U.S. for any employer, for you and your E2 enterprise or for somebody else, entirely different.
0: And sometimes, and we have a lot of couples uh, strategize who the investor is when it's a a husband wife, right? Very
1: true.
0: The husband will be like, well, we just Mm -hmm. own this business. We're going to have other people run it, but I want to do this on the side. Well, then we our advice could be in that situation, well, have your wife be the investor. They'll, yeah. You hire a manager who's gonna manage that enterprise. You get the E2S yourself, and then that'll let you do another side business or whatever. work for another employer on the side if you want. Right. So there's ways you can leverage that. So it's a huge advantage for uh, an e, E2 investor mm-hmm. is that that spouse designation is automatic work authorization. Absolutely. And the visas, when it, what happens is this, your company will become an e-visa registered company for a five-year time period. And then you will be issued a visa stamp for five years. Now, when you enter the United States, they only stamp you and admit you for two-year period of time. And then right. at the end of the two years, you simply go return to the border. They will ask for proof that you're... Business is active and operating and running. And then they'll give you another two-year stamp all the way up until the final one-year stamp. And at that point, you would then seek a redesignation of your company at the consulate and get another five-year business registration. Um, and this whole entire time, you need to keep in mind that this is non-immigrant. You shouldn't be um, giving any impression that you're coming here permanently. And there actually is no path from an E2 visa directly to a green card, it doesn't exist, which well, is odd.
1: There are paths, but it's not through your E2 registered business, right? Correct. So I've had plenty of E2 people we marry transition. Americans and get their green card through family. So that's Correct. a different pathway. Or it, perhaps there's a you know an, another pathway. They have a, another U.S. Um, employer finds that you know wants, wants to, to buy their business yeah. and employ them and will sponsor them for a green card that way. But not your, your E2 registered business path can't through petition that e. you for Correct. a green card.
0: Like an L visa, if you're an owner, l a executive manager, yes. there's a direct path to green card.
1: Right. Your your L1 business can petition you for that green card. Not an E2 business.
0: No. So you need to plan for that. If that is your goal, you need to have an uh, uh, an avenue to go from that E2 to that green card. If your purpose is strictly investment and managing your investment, well, you can be on an E2 visa till you die. Yeah, we have plenty business, of clients
1: that have been here for like 15, 20 years. On, yeah. As long as
0: that's active business, yeah. you're employing U.S. workers and you're maintaining your ties to your home country and you're not immigrating, you can keep renewing it indefinitely.
1: Yep. It's very true. And sometimes it's sometimes it's a good path to get into the United States. If you have a family petition pending yes. or you're starting one that's going to be one of the longer ones, like a like sibling a or, sister, 15 or you're an adult child of yep. a U.S. citizen. Sometimes you make the investment, come in, run your business for 15 years, and then you can transition to the green card once your priority date is current. And we have plenty of clients that do that as well.
0: Yep. Or, and we have this one too, where maybe for some reason you had a child who was born in the U.S. and you're waiting until they turn 21, right? yeah, that's a good one. And then they come in and do an e-visa while they're waiting. Their kids may be in college and wait until they turn 21, and then the kid will then petition them for a green card.
1: Yeah, that's a good plan too.
0: So there's a there are some
1: creative
0: avenues you can take to get mm-hmm. there, um, but directly from the E2, there is no path. So right. keep that in mind.
1: And um, and I think the path really is like if you look at the immigration in the immigration context of all the different avenues, is the EB5 investor correct. visa, right? So
0: it's gone up to one point six. Yeah. Million. So
1: you would need to have an investment of one point six million to qualify for that for that pathway. And it takes years. It does. they're on hold it's, right now.
0: There's. I don't oh, know what the backlog is. It's so it's highly, like it's so much three fraud. Or four year backlog.
1: It's so much fraud. And then,
0: they're effectively on hold right now. Yeah. So good luck. There, there are better routes. To me, to me, if you're doing that route, right? Yeah. I, I like the L1 visa route, right? You have a Canadian company that you're operating on. Most of those people do. A lot of them will shut down one and then open one in the US. Well, don't shut it down. Keep it active. Mm-hmm. Open up a US branch, transfer yourself the u.s once that u.s company can support a permanent full-time manager it'll petition you for a green card boom you're done
1: then you can close canada but close let's canada. keep the united states open for a while and, and work on that yep
0: until <laughs> you i had a client who didn't go
1: well yeah <laughs> wait there's
0: no business yep. so that's an l visa discussion and i don't think we've had an in-depth one on that we'll get to that one in the future sure that's one of um, that's one of my favorite options we have helped tons of people use the l1 visa to get to green card but unfortunately this E2 investor route we're talking, uh, doesn't allow for that. Um, and the renewing, uh, renewing the e-visa, uh, is similar to uh, obtaining the first, uh, e-visa you go back to the c- consul in Toronto, you're going to submit proof that the company is active operating. They're going to want tax returns, you know, t 4s proof of doing business in order to do a re-registration for another five years. Thanks again for tuning in. If you haven't already, please uh, subscribe to our podcast, rate us, review us. Also check out our resources on our website where you'll find a lot of helpful information. And you can also find us on YouTube. And again, if you want to submit us a question, we'd love to have your questions so that we can answer those live on the podcast. And if you yourself want to be on the podcast, we'd love to have you um, and answer your questions live on the podcast. So back to another Uh, user-submitted question, and we talked about this briefly, if, let's say, at the end of your e-visa process, you are refused for administrative processing, and that's, we hear administrative processing a a lot, and we get a lot of people saying, hey, I went to my immigrant visa interview or my non-immigrant visa interview, and my case status has changed to refused administrative processing. Well, what does that mean? I wish i knew <laughs> <laughs> it means black hole. <laughs> it means uh be patient yeah. uh administrative processing could mean many different things it could be uh they want to do a further background check of you they want to look more into your investment they want to look more into your relationship it depends on what you're applying for it could be any number of reasons and they don't even have to have a reason at all and they don't even have to provide you a reason to put you in administrative processing The bad news is if you get put in administrative processing, you can't even make an inquiry or try to move that along until after you've been administrative processing for at least six months. Yeah. A long time. So, uh, you know, our best advice is full disclosure to your attorney before you file for anything so that uh, you can be prepared to hopefully avoid administrative processing. At the same time, you can't avoid it. You could have a, what appears to be a perfect application and then you get put into administrative processing because there's something that the officer wants to look into a little bit more. Yep. Most cases though, we see if it's a standard administrative processing, usually within a few weeks, you know, one, four to six weeks, I would say, Most people are out if it's a basic administrative processing. Now, if you look into criminality issues uh, and and other security, security, yeah, that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. it could be a long time before you get out. So administrative processing, yeah, that's the black hole of immigration. And unfortunately, there's no straightforward answer to how you're going to get out of there. And you can't do anything for at least six months. We had an, another a recent uh success story and this was a kind of cool one and this goes back to the lv Visa that we were talking about a little bit yeah Christine.
1: we have um a, a canadian company as our client and um, they recently expanded to the united states and they opened their U first u.s office um, and the owner of the canadian company needed to come into the u.s to to manage and and hire for the new u.s office So we were successful in getting that person an L1A visa to come in and manage that U.S. branch of the business. Um, And in addition, he needed to bring in some more technical people with him in order to, um, you know, work with U.S. clients, the new U.S. clients he was taking on. Um, And so we also got a few TNs for um, some scientific technicians, technologists, engineering techs to come in with him in order to do that work for their U.S. clients as well. And that's
0: a good strategy. So a lot of people think... And dang, I wish our EC wasn't broke. Because So you're listening <laughs> right now. Man, what's that, 82 in here?
1: Whew. Do you want me to go grab a fan?
0: <laughs> no, we're good. We're home. <laughs> we're almost done. Uh, but it's getting hot. Um, that's a good strategy because the a lot of people think that, oh, I'm on an L, so everyone else I bring in has to be on an L. No, that's not necessarily the case you could bring in an employee under a different visa classification if they qualify. You yep. could bring them under a TN. You could bring them under an H-1B, potentially. Um, so just because you're on an L and you've got that for other employees, if you need to bring in another one, there could be another or an O, like I mentioned before, for the O we just got. Maybe right. maybe the person is an O-caliber. Right. Um, so that's a good strategy that I think a lot of attorneys do overlook is they get caught into this, you know, rabbit hole or pigeon they pigeonhole somebody into uh this option of l yes oh so everyone else has to be an l no that's not the case right and sometimes you have companies you could have an e visa registered company and also have a tn employee or an l employee very
1: true very true every you could apply it needs to be assessed on an individual basis
0: and i'm actually working on a case right now where where the investor he wants the E visa, but the wait time to get an E visa is about three to four months for to get an interview at mm-hmm. the consulate. But he needs this now. He also qualifies for an L, but it would be an L one startup, which is only a one year visa, and it's not ideal. And he wants to be. He wants the five year, and he doesn't want to live here or immigrate here. So he just do needs the this L to, do to get him here quick, yes. and then you
1: do the E to keep him here long, long term. Yeah, exactly. So it's he's going to come in on the now. L, get everybody here. While he's submitting the e-visa applications in the background. And he's making his investment. He's here to manage the investment while he's doing that. I think it's a great plan. We've used it a number of times successfully.
0: And then he's going to go back to the consulate, get issued his e-visa, yep. and then be all set. So, yeah, good strategy. Don't don't think that there's only one visa option that works. There could be multiple if, right. you, if you're lucky. Yes, so. absolutely. All right. So... Final, final tidbits on the e-visa. What are some of the common reasons that these get denied? What are the ones that we've seen? What do you, what do you think? What are the, the most common reasons for denial? I know I have a few. I think w- I think the biggest one, this is the biggest one, and I've seen people do it many times. What? Is they don't commit the investment. Right, They yeah. put the money in a bank account, and then they uh, p- submit an application to the consulate saying, I want to buy this gas station. The consulate reviews it, and they say, well, you didn't buy it yet.
1: You (laughs) will have to buy it. Yeah.
0: They're like, Yeah, but the money's in a bank account. Doesn't qualify. Right. I can't. And we already talked about this, but this is one of the most common reasons.
1: Oh. You don't commit the funds. I have one I heard of. It is um the person paid the money not to the seller of the business, but to their corporation that they were purchasing. So they were essentially paying themselves. Yeah. And the E2 officer did caught. not approve that <laughs> Yeah, yes. that so you, one was you're caught. paying
0: yourself yeah you're that you're, doesn't send,
1: work. you're paying a company that, that you you're own. then taking possession of yeah. so the, com- the money is yours yeah again
0: <laughs> your company must buy that company different way around
1: well you have to pay the seller of the yes, company not yourself not the company you're purchasing and we get right? a lot
0: of and that's another common one too is and that's People, just a,
1: that's that is a mistake on the level of you did not hire a business attorney to to manage this transaction. That's yes. a I did this job myself. I went to one of those online legal zoom, legal zoom to whatever. get documents. I recently had a client whose documents were um uh, let's just say they were difficult to decipher. Um, And so I asked him for you know if he was using a business attorney to prepare these because I'd never seen such shoddy work before. But he wasn't. He was preparing them himself. And had when I asked him who his attorney was, he sent me some registered agent in Arizona. His business isn't anywhere near Arizona, so I'm not sure how that was chosen. But it was you know it just complicates the process. It makes it longer. It and and you know we're flat rate fee so. We're getting paid, you know, the same amount, whether we do a lot of work or a little work. And, but the, the frustrating part for the client is it's not moving fast because I keep having to go back and say, this needs to be changed. That needs to be changed. You need to send me this. I need that. And they're getting frustrated. It certainly is frustrating from our side. So you definitely want to get a good business attorney. Um, and that leads to another roster. one too. Yeah. So yeah.
0: don't create these docs yourself. No. Don't do it. When we're, we're, when we negotiate a lease, guess what? We hire an attorney to review the lease for us because that's not what we do. We do immigration, you know. When you, when I had, I, I have a few kids I adopted. Guess what? I hired an attorney. Yeah. To do my adoption. I'm I, not. That's not what I do. I had an echocardiogram
1: get, yesterday, and guess where I went? The cardiologist. I could. Have I didn't that. do I could it myself. I've done that for you. No, because you go. <laughs> 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 you may not be alive. But. Yeah, that sounds not fun. So. <laughs> Or you have your vet. I'm pretty do sure it. you wouldn't know what to have what your was vet showing it. on that cardiogram. What? Have your vet. My do vet. It. Yeah. Yeah. Or your friend. who's My friend.
0: Who's had one done before, and you get that a lot. Oh, I've got an e visa before. Let me advise you. No, no, no. That's a bad idea. Bad yeah. idea. Use professionals. Yeah. And this goes to business plan too, and that's another common reason. You could have all your documents in order, and then you submit it, and then it comes down to marginal. Why? Because your business plan wasn't specific enough to to state what your growth would be over five years and specifically detail how many employees you're going to hire. That usually
1: happens when people do their own business plans. So here's what we recommend. You hire a business attorney. It doesn't have to be expensive. They can just do the documents for you. They don't have to, you know, and advise you on a few things. It doesn't have to be super expensive. And the other thing is you hire a business plan preparer and we have recommendations for those. So
0: just like us and you hire an immigration attorney for the yeah. immigration part yeah. so
1: each piece must be done by
0: the professional who has the expertise to assist in that area
1: yeah we're definitely not business accountants
0: too right we're not accountants we get asked accounting advice and and tax people questions. Tax questions. Yeah. oh my gosh no hire a cross-border accountant who can advise you you should be hiring professionals when you do all of this my, my father's a mechanic and he gave me this advice long ago as a kid he was, he was a John Deere. That's who he worked for. He said, Jeremy, if you, you own a Ford, you take it to the Ford dealer. You own a John Deere, you take it to John Deere. Why? Because if a John Deere comes into the John Deere dealership, he can listen to it. You can tell him, he knows exactly how to diagnose it and fix it because that's what they deal with all the time. You bring in a vehicle or something they're not used to. Or you're going to pay extra time and money for them to even figure out what's going on. And even then, they may fix it wrong because that's not what they deal with. Yeah. Same thing applies here. Hire the expert who has expertise in what you're looking for. You'll save yourself a lot of time, time and yeah. money. Mm-hmm.
1: So, And frustration. Yeah, and frustration.
0: <laughs> and the, and the, I think the other, and we already hit on this, I would say one of the other common reasons for denial is, is not f- having full disclosure. People True. go in and they don't, yeah. present the, they don't present the investment as it is or they don't present their background as it is. And they try to get past the consulate. Uh, didn't you lying. have a, you have a client
1: that had like all kinds of fraud charges that came yes. out at an interview? With like the <laughs> EVS application
0: like- we submitted was perfect, but then they denied it on the basis that this individual had committed some visa fraud through some business that they owned in the past as the basis for the denial of the e. well, yeah. you Well, got to disclose that. Definitely. Don't commit fraud.
1: Yeah, don't we? I would say that just because your attorney doesn't ask you for specific information about your past visa fraud doesn't mean you shouldn't tell them. The, obli- the obligation's on you to bring it up.
0: Yeah. So those are probably the biggest pitfalls we see. And there, there are others too, and we could probably keep going on and on about, it, you know, horror stories about that. Um, but in the end, we've had e-visa success stories from small Single or, or sole operator companies that yeah. do $50,000 a year in business, up to multi million dollar companies uh, that get e visas. There is no business that doesn't necessarily work for an e visa. It could be an existing business that you're buying, it could be a new business that you're starting up. Maybe you want to start a consulting company, maybe you want to start a hair salon. We've seen everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the sky's the limit with any, e. as long as it's legitimate and it's backed by professional documents and legitimate investments that you can prove then
1: it could be possible keep every receipt and every credit card transaction and every bank statement because we're going to ask you for them
0: (laughs) that's funny because this one (laughs) exam the one example i have she's one of my favorite clients she's a little old lady she does saddlery and stuff she i think you talked about her we have (laughs) she doesn't do a ton of business all of her stuff's handwritten so, <laughs> so Sharon, yeah. she's one of our paralegals. She's been working with her for years. He We've been doing all her. EDs. She she's Sharon's very patient and she works through all these receipts and compiles <laughs> it all. But totally old school. But it's all documented. Yeah. You know, it's not computerized or electronic like most of us, but she has it all. Yeah. It's and she probably she
1: probably doesn't transfer the money through three different bank accounts before oh. it gets where it needs to be. I don't understand why that happens a I lot. I
0: got this too. money from my father and then my step in and then i transferred whatever. it to
1: my bank account oh my here, gosh and then people i transferred it to the business account and then i transferred it back to me don't and then do that, i invested people. it don't do that
0: <laughs> it's, it's clean of, uh, as clean yeah. as clean of a trail of funds you want to make it as, as easy for it.
1: the officer to review as possible you want to serve it up on a silver platter so that they all they can say at the end of the day is this is approved
0: yep a b c done yep, yep. okay all right well thank you for tuning in today um, and listening us listening to us ramble on about visas. Hopefully, you found it insightful. Again, if you haven't subscribed, please do so. Uh, give us a rating, review us, I recommend us to your friends, um, and tune in next time next time we will be discussing more about e2 visas and we will go specifically into the top 10 frequently asked questions uh, that we Exciting. receive about <laughs> e2 visas so if you found this you know overview of e2 visas uh, informative and you want to continue to learn more about e visas uh, tune in next time when we d- when we discover or when we go into details of those top 10 frequently asked questions uh, about e uh, 2 says. Thank you for
1: listening and hope you tune in next time. Have a great day.